0: afternoon. <coughs> uh, it's great to be able to uh, worship together uh, as God's family. Uh, Shettleston, Springburn, Deniston. I uh, just want to say thank you to Jimmy, uh, Paul and Samuel for leading us in that time so far. Um, just over the last few weeks, I've been personally really uh, struck by how important it is that, that we do something like this. Uh, not only do we greatly benefit Uh, from sharpening one another as individuals and as congregations, Um, but we're more effective uh, on mission within the east end of Glasgow uh, and the north of Glasgow and beyond. Uh, As we make that intentional step of of experiencing and practising unity, uh, God is glorified, there's no question about that, Uh, and our mission becomes more effective uh, as well. So I look out each one of you this afternoon and I recognise that... God is pleased with us in this moment. We can praise God that he is with us and he is pleased uh, with us as we choose to come together as, as three different congregations. Um, and as we take time to look together at the word of God, uh, I wanted us to look at a subject uh, found within scripture, but a subject which is often uh, overlooked from time to time. And um, this subject when properly held in our hands can change our lives. Uh, but we so often fail to understand what the Bible means uh, when we talk about this subject. Um, My guess is if you're connected to the life of this church or our church, or you've been to church before, you've probably heard this phrase being used, but you don't have a category in your head as to how to use it and when to use it. That's been my experience, I'm guessing this has been your experience as well. Uh, This afternoon we're going to take time to think about the majesty of God. The majesty of god so a nice light subject for us at four o'clock on a sunday um, and as we take time to think about this subject of the majesty of god uh, i would want to offer you this definition okay so the, a definition which i hope will be helpful for us is this the majesty of god is the reality of god and his supreme greatness authority and sovereignty as different from and far above all that he has made let me read that again the majesty of god is the reality of God and his supreme greatness, authority and sovereignty as different from and far above all that he has made. So what a subject matter for us to look at uh, today. We're essentially asking a question this afternoon, who is God? Who is God? And I'm going to suggest to you this afternoon, there is no other question more important than that one. Uh, How we answer that question affects everything of this life, and everything of who we are and all of how we choose to live this life today. If we have a a high view of God, then we're going to have a high view of other people's lives and how we should live our own life. And equally, if we have a low view of God, then we will also have a low view of other people's lives and how it is we should live. So how you and I understand God will determine the content of our moral framework our relationships what we prioritize in life how we spend our money in fact every area every single detail of this amazing thing that we call life will be impacted by how we answer that question who is god Uh, so don't misunderstand what we're doing this afternoon this is not just some theological study as to the nature of god we're not doing that Uh, this is a probing of our heart and mind To see if God's reality is also our reality. Uh, Is there this undeniable connection between our life and the doctrine we say we believe? Uh, To do this, we're going to dig into the Old Testament. Uh, Some important words from one of the prophets. Uh, We so often overlook and avoid body swerve, the Old Testament, out of a fear that it is too vast for us to understand. There is so much content within the Old Testament. And we can look at it we can read it we can try and study it and we can at times be overwhelmed by it it's language can be too weighty and we think often that we need to be in hours and hours of biblical study to understand it but jesus said of the old testament that all of it all of it points to him all of it points to him it's just as inspired as any other inspirational verse you might find in, in the new testament So this afternoon, let's take some time to look together at the majesty of God. And we're going to listen to the words of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 40 and verses 9 through to 31. We read this. It'll be up on the screen for us as well. So Isaiah 40, starting in verse 9. Zion, herald of good news. Go up on a high mountain, Jerusalem. Herald of good news. Raise your voice loudly. Raise it. Do not be afraid. Say to the cities of Judah here is your god see the lord god comes with strength and his power establishes his rule his wages are with him and his reward accompanies him he protects his flock like a shepherd he gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them in the fold of his garment he gently leads those for our nursing who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure Or weighed the mountains on a balance, and the hills on scales? Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust in the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. Lebanon cedars are not enough for fuel, or it's animals enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as empty nothingness. With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? An idol? Something that a smelter casts, and a metal worker plates with gold, and makes silver chains for? A poor person contributes wood for a pedestal, that will not rot? He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not considered the foundations of the earth? God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing and makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground. When he blows on them and they wither, and a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal? Ask the Holy One. Look up and see. Who created these? He brings out the stars by number. He calls all of them by name. Because of his great power and strength, not one of them is missing. Jacob, why do you say... And Israel, why do you assert my way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God? Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes faint or weary. There is no limit to his understanding. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. Youths may become faint and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Amen. So Father, we we come before your word and we thank you for it. And we ask that as we now just take some time to understand what your word says, to unpack it, that, that your spirit would fall upon us and work in us and shape us and convict us. Lord, would you use this time in a way that that we can say that your kingdom has come and your will has been done in this place on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this afternoon through our passage, um, I want us to see uh, that we cannot compare God uh, to anything else, anyone else. God is incomparable. Uh, and there are three areas of focus for us as we re- as we reflect on his incomparable. Our God is incomparable in his power, number one. Our God is incomparable in his person, number two. And our God is incomparable in his pastoral care, number three. So his power, his person, and his pastoral care. And as we think about these three titles, I want us to see a key component of what Isaiah does here within this passage. There are two verses, verse 18 and 25 act as connection points between the beginning, the middle and the end of our passage. So in verse 18, we read, With whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up for comparison with him? So God through Isaiah is saying here, In light of my great, my great power, who are you going to compare me to? In light of how great I am, who on this earth are you going to compare me to? And what follows from this question is then a focus on the person of God right up until verse 24. Then in verse 25 we read God through Isaiah speaking these words to whom will you compare me or who is my equal as the Holy One. God is telling his people in light of my personhood in light of my personhood who can you compare me to all of which is a helpful lead into God's incomparable greatness through his pastoral care, which is what we read in verses 26 through to 31. So that's basically the connection between all three of these topics within this passage. And so I hope we see that these two verses are the connectors to the incomparable attributes of God. And when we come to terms with these incomparable attributes, honestly, that that should change our lives. Even if we say that we have followed Jesus for a long time, when we truly come to terms with what Isaiah says here, our life should be transformed as we are open to what God has to do to us through his spirit. So number one, our God is incomparably great in his power. In his power. And our passage begins um, by looking at how God compared to nature is an incomparably great God in his power. And we read of this in verse 12. Uh, Isaiah says this, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? Or marked off the heavens with the span of his hand? Who has gathered the dust of the earth in a measure? Or weighed the mountains on a balance? And the hills on the scales? So water, East End translation, water or water. uh, Isaiah says that all of the water in this world is incomparable (coughs) compared to God. Let's just think about that for a moment. Um, 70% of planet Earth is covered in water, which is on a constant cycle. So it evaporates from the ocean, it travels through the air, it rains down on the land, and then it flows back into the ocean. It's almost like someone designed it that way. Get this there are 326 million trillion gallons. Or 1,260 million trillion liters of water on the earth. So that's a massive amount of water. Enough to baptize someone. Uh, God says that he measures that 1,260 million trillion liters of water. in the hollow of his hand. The hollow of his hand. 1,260 million trillion liters of water in this part. That's nothing to God. God is utterly incomparable. And as we read on, God through Isaiah says that he marks the heavens with a span. A span. Do you know what a span is? A span is a distance between your thumb and your pinky. So basically this. So to God, the entire universe is like being from here to here. That's how God measures the universe get your head around that this afternoon and that's incredible when we try and come to terms with how big our universe actually is so we, we understand that that this I feel like I'm doing one of these rocker things we understand that that this is how God measures the universe it's a descriptive way of, of how great God is but as we think about how big our universe is the reality is it's impossible to measure the universe from the human eye no one knows nobody knows how big our universe is scientists can only speak of the known universe all that we see from the earth through telescopes so we don't see far enough to get to the end of the universe my guess is the universe is eternal let me give you an idea this afternoon of how big our universe actually is if you were to, to, if you were able to travel to the moon by plane it would take you 20 days, 20 days to travel from here, Glasgow Airport, to the moon. If you were to travel to the sun by plane, it would take over 21 years. And we live in the Milky Way galaxy, which is 100,000 light years wide. Uh, What that means is it would take the light 100,000 years to travel from one side of our galaxy, which is basically just our postcode in the universe, from one side of our galaxy to the other and that's just one galaxy a conservative estimate would suggest there are over 350 billion of these galaxies in the universe so we live in one galaxy it takes a hundred thousand years for light to travel between the, within that one galaxy but there are 350 billion of these galaxies so are you getting this this afternoon are you getting how great and incomparable this God really is and how small we are not only that but we read that God sees all of the dust and soil of the earth as a measure and a measure is one third of a bushel basket seven kilograms not very heavy at all God sees all of the soil all of the land all of the dust of the earth and he compares it to about seven kilograms about the same weight as a five-month old baby Uh, what can we say of the mountains and the hills this afternoon well God says that he measures all of the mountains, every single mountain and hill on planet Earth on scales and balances. That includes Ben Nevis, it includes Mount Everest, it includes every single mountain. Mount Everest is six miles high. We're blessed to live in a country with not the biggest mountains, but without question, some of the most stunning that the world has to offer, and I know I'm biased. Next time you're up one, next time you see one on the TV, Use it as an opportunity to worship the God who measures these mountains on a scale. The comparison from Isaiah then moves from looking at God's greatness and his power in comparison to human nature. To looking at God's greatness and his power in comparison to human wisdom. And in verses 13 to 14 we read these words from Isaiah. Isaiah says, Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who, who gave him counsel? Who did he consult? Who gave him understanding and taught him the paths of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Isaiah here asks some rhetorical questions. And they're really important questions. Who in this world gave God counsel? Who gave God? Who did God turn to? Who gave God insight? Who taught God justice, knowledge and understanding? The answer is knowing that, knowing that God is a source of all justice. He is a source of all knowledge. He is a source of all understanding. All justice, knowledge, understanding trace back to this incredible God. And we will never ever fully and completely understand that God is a source of all justice, knowledge and understanding because none of us ever begins our lives having knowledge and understanding. It is something that we to our lesser or, greater extent, acquire as we get older. The reality is that God is unlike any other human being. There is no beginning to God. He has always existed. He has always known. He has always understood. And He has always possessed justice. These are God's eternal attributes, from eternity past to eternity future. So, when you try and understand God in that way and in that light, it should cause us to worship. When we see how our God is incomparable in that particular way, it should cause us to worship. I hope it does cause you to worship. It's not just the case that God knows and under- understands all things, but his knowledge and understanding is eternal as God is eternal. We are an integral part of who he is. And how often do you and I, how often do we doubt whether God knows what he's doing? It's quite incredible as we spend time looking at this passage and yet how often we ignore this passage and we doubt what God is doing. As we look at our lives, we carry all these different questions and it's okay to have questions. But it's so important that in light of these questions, we turn to God and we seek him as the one who is a source of all knowledge, wisdom and understanding. The next time you're tempted to doubt God, remember Remember, he is the personification of wisdom. And in his wisdom, he invites you and I to trust him with all that we are and with every detail of our lives. That's my invitation to you this afternoon. Trust him. He is a source of all wisdom. In Christ, he is a personification of wisdom. So trust him today in the midst of what you're facing. There's no other pathway. There's no other way forward. It is God our bust for us. God goes on to compare his power to the nations of the world. And in verses 15 and in verse 17, we read this, starting in verse 15. Look, the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are considered as a speck of dust in the scales. He lifts up the islands like fine dust. And in verse 17, all the nations are as nothing before him. They are considered by him as empty nothingness. So Isaiah goes on to describe the nations of the world here. God looks at all the nations. He looks at all the people groups. He regards Every single person, every nation, every people group is like a drop of water in a bucket. So the incredible truth for you and I is that all the nations of the world are like dust and the islands like even finer dust. Uh, When we compare God to the nations, we see so clearly that they are nothing to him. In fact, Isaiah says the nations are less than nothing when compared to him. So this afternoon, you may identify yourself as Scottish. um, And I'm kind of entering controversial territory here. You may identify yourself as Scottish. You may identify yourself as British. You may identify yourself as Scottish first, British second. You may identify yourself as British first, Scottish second. You may identify yourself as another nationality, and we do have other nationalities in this room. Whoever you are, Wherever you're from, I want you to understand that infinitely more important than any of that is the fact that you're a child of God and you belong in God's kingdom. Amen. And I want to drive, I want that in my own life. I want that to drive me more than anything or anyone else. If I don't see that, then I miss out. I miss out on what it means to be a follower of Christ. Because Christ didn't die for me. So I could get all caught up in my national identity. That's pretty embarrassing and pathetic. It's nonsense. Christ died for me so that I would become a child of God. And that would be my primary identity. So we're moving on from examining the incomparable greatness of God and his power. To the incomparable greatness of God and his person. Number two. And in particular from this passage we're going to focus On comparing God and his person to idols. So verse 18, the prophet asks us, whom will you compare God to? And in verse 19 to 20, we read an idol, something that a smelter casts and a metal worker plates with gold and makes silver chains for. A poor person contributes wood for a pedestal that will not rot. He looks for a skilled craftsman to set up an idol that will not fall over. Now, Let's get this straight. Let us understand uh, what Isaiah is saying here. An uh, an idol in Isaiah's day tended to be a statue, uh, a monument, an ornament. It would normally be made of gold, silver, bronze. And the people would give their undivided attention to this object. They would bow down. They would worship it. And they would do that under the belief that they would receive blessing and prosperity from it. And there would be so much time and energy and effort into making this idol into something of, of extreme beauty. They would want people to look at this object and take notice of it. Goldsmiths and skillful craftsmen would, would, would be used to make it, which is what we read within this passage. And after it was made, all of our focus, all of our energy, all of our time would be spent on pleasing and worshipping this wee object. And nothing has really changed. Uh, Idols still exist today. They just look a little different. Uh, They disguise themselves a little better. Uh, An idol today is simply anything or anyone that you have made more important than Jesus. That's the truth. An idol is anything or anyone that you have made more important than Jesus. And look at our society. Our society is obsessed with putting anything and everything before Christ, meaning that we live in a society completely soaked and saturated in idolatry. Let me just give you some examples of idolatry in our society today. Uh, We idolize sport. Um, Our country here in Scotland, it tends to be football, but it can be any sport, any activity that captures our imagination to such an extent that we become consumed by it. People travel hundreds of miles to idolize our team. Their happiness is often dependent on how their team do. They can spend hours and hours connecting to their idol and the support of the team can become all-consuming to them. We idolize technology, and we're a society that pours its time, energy, money into having the latest tablet, the newest smartphone, the widest TV. Our life can so often be governed by the screen that sits in front of our face. I recognize I'm preaching from an iPad here, so. (laughs) None of it is really necessary for our lives, let's be honest. And none of it is needed for our own personal health and well being. In fact, the opposite. Uh, Technology is making us worse people. We're becoming poorer in our health as a result of its influence and impact. Uh, We idolize relationships. That can be family. We can idolize our family. Uh, That can be. Um, our husband, our wife, it can be our children, we can idolise our partner, we can idolise our friends and we can do any or all of that and in elevating our relationships we can relegate Jesus in our hearts and minds. But Jesus wants to be number one, he wants to be priority in our life. Our God is a jealous God, he longs to have, he longs for you to have daily regular time and his presence and the family and the friends the blessings the gifts the possessions all of that can fall under this most important relationship that relationship we have with Jesus we idolize image and um, this falls into things like the place where we live uh, the possessions we have the clothes we wear the social pro- the social media profile we carry the people we want to spend our time with, if we're deeply, deeply honest this afternoon, we're all trying to maintain our personal PR. And um, these are just a few examples. The reality is that idolatry can be anything. It can be anything. Whatever we have made much of more than a risen savior is an idol. So ask yourself a question as you need to ask yourself this question on a regular basis. What are the things in your life that you have the proclivity to idolize and worship at the expense of God? And once you have answered that question, then ask yourself this how does how does any of that compare to worshiping the true and living God? I mean, honestly, let's just take stock, let's just, just kind of take a step back from our lives for a moment. What are we doing with our lives? Why are we wasting our lives, pursuing some things or many things that one day will go up in smoke. Um, Again, as I said this morning, our service, I'm preaching to myself first and foremost before I'm preaching to any one of us. But how often we are consumed and obsessed with the things that one day will go up in smoke, will disappear. And how strange and bizarre a Christian we are To think that all we need to do is say that we love Jesus. And then show little or no evidence of genuine faith. How bizarre. Who are we kidding this afternoon? We're not kidding God. Isaiah puts it well when he says that we so often put all of our energy and effort into an idol that will not move. Meaning that what we pursue is often completely dead and utterly meaningless when I'm on my deathbed (coughs) when you're on your deathbed which let's face it, it's not that far away um our life is a vapor as we looked at this morning do you think you're going to be asking for your team's football strip or your house keys or your car keys one last look at your smartphone or that amazing social media post that had lots of likes or is it not the case that you would want to be surrounded and supported by those you love the most, those who you invested eternity into? Is that not what you would want as you're lying on your deathbed? Rather than all of this stuff that can so easily consume our lives, would that not make you look back in your entire life and say, it's been worth it? It's all been worth it. I gave my all for Christ and none of it was a waste. Is that not what you want? Is that not what we all want? As three different churches here today, and as individuals who represent these churches, is this not our deepest longing to give our absolute all for Christ? We sang this morning, I surrender all, I surrender all, all to thee my blessed Saviour, I surrender all. Is that not the song you want to sing on your deathbed? And is that not the life you want to have so that as you look back on your deathbed, you can see a life of surrender to him? one that is full of satisfaction and joy in Christ and not satisfaction and joy in the things of this world. Isaiah then goes on to compare God and his person to the leaders of the world. And in verses 22 to 24, we read these words. Isaiah says, God is enthroned above the circle of the earth. Its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like thin cloth and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He reduces princes to nothing. And makes judges of the earth like a wasteland. They are barely planted, barely sown. Their stem hardly takes root in the ground. When he blows on them and they wither. And a whirlwind carries them away like stubble. So Isaiah says that God sits on the circle of the earth. And he looks down at all of us. So we could say that God is looking down on this building right now. And we are all just like grasshoppers sitting on these chairs. I don't know if you ever remember being a kid. Uh, and you would come across a worm or an insect or a spider and it was maybe getting some food or something um, and maybe this is something that you still do, I don't know, it's confession time afterwards during tea and coffee, um, but you stood there and you knew you had complete control over this little thing, uh, you could move it somewhere else, you could nudge it, uh, you could stand on it which is what I often did as a wee boy or you could leave it be. You had complete control and authority over what happened to this little life. And this is a picture that Isaiah speaks of here in our passage. God has full and complete control over every detail of our lives, including whether or not we're going to wake up tomorrow. He determines our every breath. He determines the precise moment of our last breath. Compared to God, we are grasshoppers. We have absolutely no power and he has complete compa- complete power. We determine nothing of our lives and he determines everything. So let that, let that reality sit on us for a moment. And over all of that is this incredible reality that he loves every single one of us. So he wants the very best for us. So yes, he is all powerful and all sovereign. But couple that with this incredible reality that he loves us more than any other person in this world. So his love with his sovereignty should not only humble each one of us today, it should make us run to him with all that we are. Because he is in complete control and he loves us more than anyone else loves us. If he loves each one of us so much so that he gave his one and only son for us, then he is the most trustworthy being in the whole universe. And in verses 23 to 24, Isaiah goes on to compare God and his person to the leaders and the rulers of the world. And I love how another translation says of this scripture, and this is more a commentary on the word of God. It says this, He ignores what all the princes say and do. The rulers of the earth count for nothing. Princes and rulers don't amount to much. Like seeds barely rooted, just sprouted. They shrivel when God blows on them. Like flecks of chaff, they're gone with the wind. And there's a really important comparison to be made here between God and and those in authority. And the comparison is essentially this. Our leaders do not serve in their particular roles to be worshiped by us. God has all of the power and the reality for you and I, as we live under their leadership, is that they are borrowing power. So compared to God and his majesty, they really are like seeds barely rooted, just sprouted. They shrivel when God blows in them. Like flecks of chaff, they're gone with the wind. So, the leaders of our nation may be good or bad or indifferent, our relationship with God and our confidence in God always remains the same. The majesty of God and the incomparability of God can only ever be understood when we see how great our God is in, in contrast to anyone who might have supreme authority over any given nation. So, understand that today. So, that's the second one power. And number three. Final one, our God is incomparably great in his pastoral care. Pastoral care. Isaiah moves on and he points us towards the depth of love and pastoral care that God has for all of his people. And he does this by comparing his love and pastoral care with those who are discouraged. And I wonder this afternoon, are you discouraged? Are you discouraged? Um, Let verses 27 and 28 be manner for your souls today. Isaiah says this, Jacob... Why do you say in Israel, why do you assert? My way is hidden from the Lord and my claim is ignored by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the whole earth. Isaiah paints a helpful picture of someone who is discouraged and overwhelmed by the circumstances of life. So they recognize that God is real. They recognize God as sovereign, but they also recognize that their situation uh, for whatever reason, is too much for God to step into and intervene. And so they say something to the effect of this. My way is hidden from the Lord. God cannot help me in this situation. They also say something to the effect of this. My claim is ignored by my God. Translation of both of those sentences. God has left me to my own devices. I need to work this out myself. And I wonder this afternoon... Are these words ringing true for you today? Is this what you're saying in your heart right now? Are you in a place where you're saying, my way is hidden from the Lord, my claim is ignored by my God? Does it appear to be the case based upon how you feel, the circumstances that you're in the midst of, that God has hidden himself from you or worse, God has abandoned you? If that's where you're at this afternoon, let me encourage you. Our God has not forgotten about you. Our God has not abandoned you. And so let not your feelings or your circumstances be the driver of your life. Let the word of God. This afternoon, I invite you to take hold of these words in Romans 8, 35 to 39. The Apostle Paul says, Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Can affliction or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, because of you we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things we are more than conquerors, amen, more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The pastoral love of God is one of consistent commitment and care. We have to understand that. And nothing in all of creation can ever take us away from that. His love means that God promises to meet us, even in our deepest moments of discouragement. In fact, I would even argue, in your most difficult moments of discouragement, that is often when God meets us in the most powerful of ways. And the incomparability of God and his pastoral care is so clearly demonstrated by a fact that he actually empowers those who are in need. So we see this. I've said that already, but we see us in, in verse 29. He gives strength to the faint and strengthens the powerless. And some of us have heard this many times before. You've maybe heard that verse. You've maybe seen it on a mug or a Christian t-shirt or something, a tea towel. But you really do need to hear it again. We really do need to connect with these words afresh. He really will give strength to the faint. He really is the one who's going to empower the powerless. So understand that. There's a reason why the writer of the Hebrews tells us to come boldly to the throne of what? The throne of grace. It's a throne of grace. Why is that? So that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of, our time of need. In other words, God loves to help those who are aware of the fact that they're desperate and discouraged and despondent. And Isaiah goes further and he compares the majesty of God in his pastoral care, not only to the discouraged and the weak, but also to youth. And Isaiah does this to make the point of how fragile we are, that youth are often regarded as the epitome of strength and energy, and even they struggle. Have a look at what Isaiah says in the final two verses. Youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall, but those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles, they will run and not become weary, they will walk and not faint. Uh, for Pauline's uh, 30th birthday, you look scared, don't worry, um, which may or may not have been 10 years ago. Um, I got a, a framed picture uh, of her standing on a rock uh, overlooking the Sound of Jura. So we had—we to, just took this photo when we a uh, at Port Van, this, this caravan site. Uh, Overlooking the sound of Jura. In fact, Maxi had a photo today of of Jura. Um, So she had her arms stretched out, looking out to the sound of Jura. Um, I actually proposed on her 30th birthday, so I pulled it out of the bag big time. It was amazing. Um, In that frame photo, I digress. In that frame photo, we have the words of Isaiah 40 and verses 30 to 31. Uh, Those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. And they will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. And we actually had the whole of Isaiah chapter 40 uh, read out on our wedding day. Uh, So it's such a special chapter of Scripture to us. And we know we're not young anymore. Don't worry, we are aware of that. Um, We're definitely a lot younger than a few of you here today, though, so that's good. Uh, In our marriage, Uh, These words, I'm going to get chibbed after this, don't worry, it's fine. In our marriage, these words have become like manna uh, for our souls. So, in our moments of greatest weakness and struggle, we have encountered, we can testify to the reality of Isaiah 40, we have encountered moments of great victory in our moments of weakness. Why is that? Well, because God's word is true. Isaiah 40 is reality for us as believers as it's reality for every single one of you as believers god the the god incomparable in his power incomparable in his person incomparable in his pastoral care has lifted us up into new heights and he i know for a fact he has lifted many of you up this has been your testimony and this will be your testimony for years to come so our testimony has been one where we can say in god's strength Yes, we have soared on wings like eagles. In God's strength, we have run and not become weary. In God's strength, we have walked and not fainted. And so, understand this this afternoon. He's not going to leave you in your weakness and in your struggle. God's going to reach down today. He's going to lift you up. He's going to make you new so that you can testify to the goodness of God in your life. He's going to do that. It's a promise. God never lies. If he said it he will do it so trust him today what a god we have praise god this afternoon and mid-may we can worship him it's a beautiful day outside we can worship him in response to his faithfulness and goodness towards us so what we're going to do today before we respond and worship we're going to take the bread and the cup together as a response and almost as an act as a declaration in our hearts today we're going to say God, I trust you. I've trusted you with my salvation. I'm going to trust you right now in this moment of my life. So we do so recognizing that even though our God is, is beyond compare, he met us where we were at by living amongst us, by dying for us, by rising for us. So that if any one of us loves the Lord today, we can come and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your death. Thank you for your resurrection. If God has done this, then he can do this. He can do something today in the midst of what we face. So it was on the night in which he was betrayed that Jesus took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. And in the same way, he took the cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. So as we take this bread and drink this cup, we say, I hope we can say, thank you, Jesus, for all that you have done for me. Thank you for the fact that that you are helping me right now. And and even though I might not understand what's going on, even though I I don't understand how you're going to help me, I trust you. As often as we take this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. So let us worship him together. Let's begin by taking the bread. Um, And then after we've taken the bread, We're going to take the cup and hold on to it and drink together as one. We're going to drink together as a family. So the body of Christ, which is for you.